Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. You stay. I go. No following. Except on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or anywhere else you follow your favourite podcasts. Come on, Giant, we need to get more listens from somewhere. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 17, The Iron Giant. This is the final movie of Augustravaganza and of August in general. Um, This one's really special. Um, It's special because it's 20 years old this year. It's also special because, well, it didn't do so great on its initial release. Um, It's since become a bit of a cult classic but it totally deserves to be watched, enjoyed and ultimately respected. But also today, as in release day, is my birthday. Happy birthday to me. And to celebrate, I recently gave away the Blu-ray of The Iron Giant and a Funko Pop to a lucky winner on Twitter, who turned out to be a lovely lady here in the UK called Anita. And she is going to be giving the Blu-ray and Funko Pop to her young son for his birthday, which is awesome. And I hope they enjoy watching the movie together. So it's not been all that long since Willow, which only came out on Monday, just gone. And so I've not really been able to give it the usual kind of promotional push that I would because I've had a little bit of a bug this week, which kind of has kind of knocked off my schedule a little bit. But as I mentioned, I'm back to a fortnightly schedule next month and the announcement for episode 18, which is a doozy, if I do say so myself, will be at the end of this episode. But back to The Iron Giant. It's a movie that will defy expectation on what animation can achieve and what animation can depict. Everyone should know by now I'm a staunch advocate for animation, but animation is not a genre animation can depict any genre and also animation is not just for children and I think that's something that's been lost in Hollywood 
and actually Western animation in general, because anime movies in Japan, for example, cover many different genres, action, adventure, horror, crime, even pornography. It's something infinitely interesting and frustrating about animated movies that come from Hollywood. Movies that tend to only get released during school holidays, specifically to attract the child-friendly market. A lot of these movies are perfectly fine, perfectly enjoyable, bright and colourful and great for children who, let's be honest, don't care about the plot or characters all that much. They just want to see nice pretty pictures. But animated movies should work on the level for adults as well. And I'd argue they should work purely for adults. I'm going to say it again. Animation is not just for children. The Iron Giant is an animated movie, but just to call it that is a great disservice. And I'm going to tell you why this isn't just a movie. It's art and it's timeless. What are we looking at here, Mr. Manley? This is no meteor. This is something much more serious. Hey there, Scout. Kate you work for the government. I have something for you. Where did you find that? Up at the power station. Hogarth was out there the other night. <laughs> really? See anything unusual, Hogarth? No thing unusual, really. Guess you're not gonna hurt me, huh? My own giant robot. I am the luckiest kid in America. Where'd he come from? He doesn't remember. He's like a little kid. Little, yeah. <laughs> Sunday! Every hero, Sputnik, is like that giant thing in the woods. We don't know what it can do. What are you talking about? You think this metal man is fun, but who built it? The Russians, the Chinese, Martians, Canadians? I don't care! You are going to tell me about this thing, and we are going to destroy it before it destroys us! We gotta show them you're good. You are what you choose to be. I'm Superman. We must stop it at all costs. Let's get out of here! Run! Ready the attack? My son is out there! We've got to help it! Hogarth, no! I'm slipping! Ah! Giant? Oh, God. trailer gives me the feels. So I've got a brief synopsis for The Iron Giant because I'm going to be talking about this movie in a lot of detail and I don't want this episode to be too long. Well, 
Okay, maybe I do. But so a giant alien robot crash lands near the small town of Rockwell, Maine in 1957. Exploring the area, a local nine-year-old boy, Hogarth, discovers the robot and soon forms an unlikely friendship with him. When a paranoid government agent, Kent Mansley, becomes determined to destroy the robot, Hogarth and beatnik artist Dean McCoppin must do what they can to save the misunderstood machine from becoming the weapon he's designed to be. But that's not what he chooses to be. So, cast-wise, we actually have quite a good cast in this movie. Considering this movie came out 20 years ago, so 1999, um, we've got Jennifer Aniston, who plays Annie Hughes, uh, the mother of Hogarth. You can definitely tell it's Jennifer Aniston in this movie. Obviously, at the time, she was starring in Friends, literally the biggest sitcom on the planet. We have Harry Connick Jr. as Dean McCoppin, Christopher McDonald as Kent Mansley, John Mahoney as General Rogard, Eli Marienthal as Hogarth Hughes and genuinely giving one of his greatest vocal performances of all time, Vin Diesel as the Iron Giant. Now, I love Groot because we are Groot, but he brings so much depth and emotion to Giant and Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel was an inspired choice for Groot, but just a phenomenal choice for Giant he only has 53 words in this movie, but it's 53 words of complete perfection. So the movie was directed by Brad Bird, who went on to do quite a lot of stuff for Pixar, most famously The Incredibles um, and most recently Incredibles 2. Um, it was written by Tim McCanleys, who did the screenplay and Brad Bird wrote the screen story. And the movie was based on the book The Iron Man by Ted Hughes. The Iron Giant came out in 1999. It's a year I've covered a few times already, but also a year mooted as one of the greatest years for movies in recent memory, full stop. But to talk about The Iron Giant, we actually need to go back a few years to the Disney Renaissance. So that's the period from 1989 when Disney movies finally started to become popular and to be seen as the classics of animation, kind of starting with The Little Mermaid. Um, I've talked about all of them too. Uh, way back when, uh, 16 episodes ago, I talked about Titan AE, which is another animated movie that failed to find an audience back in 2000. Titan AE came on the back of one of the most successful runs of Disney animation since the golden age of Disney. In 1999, the Iron Giant was competing against not only some of the most iconic movies ever made, but also Disney themselves. Tarzan was the number five movie of that year. And also, more importantly... Pixar. Pixar back in 95 had made cinematic history with Toy Story, a movie completely computer generated with massive merchandise potential. Remember that Christmas when Buzz Lightyear sold out across the world? Computer generated animation was born and the death knell for traditionally animated pictures sounded across Hollywood. To say The Iron Giant was completely overshadowed in not only animated movies of 1999, but all movies of 1999, is an understatement. It's a classic example of an excellent movie that's never seemed to find an audience. Anyway, back to the production history. So young Brad Bird had dreams of becoming an animator as a child, and it's a dream he never gave up on. A lot of people, when they have dreams of, oh, I want to be this when I grow up, tend to go off and have like a regular job, but not Brad Bird. When he was 11, he toured the Walt Disney Studios and basically announced that he was going to be joining them someday. They were really impressed by his gusto and an animated short that he did. And 
he was given a scholarship by Walt Disney Animation to the California Institute of Arts, where he graduated along the likes of John Lasseter and Tim Burton. Walt Disney employed him as soon as he graduated, and he ended up working on Disney's The Fox and the Hound in 1981. And on that production, he voiced his opinions and he actually openly criticised Disney management for playing it a bit safe during The Fox and the Hound and he ended up getting fired. Um, The reason I mention this is Brad Bird clearly does not like to play it safe. All of his feature films push boundaries. They have multiple meanings and messages. And after leaving his dream employer, he was open to a project where he could take the risks he wanted to take. In the meantime, he ended up working on The Simpsons for quite a while. The Iron Giant is based on the 1968 novel The Iron Man by Ted Hughes. And it began its development as a musical in 1994. Going back to the Disney Renaissance, it was expected that if you were making an animated feature, it had to include child-friendly themes, had to be bright and colourful, contain only mild peril, and it must, must, must have a catchy song or two. In 1994, Disney released The Lion King, one of its most popular and critically acclaimed animated movies of all time. And those songs, they were memorable. You could buy the soundtrack on cassette tape along with your cuddly toy Simba. But most importantly, every studio was playing catch up to Disney. Gosh, doesn't this feel like deja vu? And if you weren't making animated movies with catchy songs, beautiful princesses, heroines, brave princely types, then what was wrong with you? Animation could be done cheaply because it was for kids, right? They don't need coherent stories, just bright, colourful cartoon characters. Kids are like so dumb. Now, I will praise the content of Don Bluth till I die. But I'm going to be honest, not all of the Bluth animation can be considered a classic. Disney were, at the time, the animation behemoths. Let's have a slice of that pie, said every other animation studio known to man. It was the Who guitarist Pete Townsend who released a concept album called The Iron Man in 1989. And he wanted to relaunch the concept album into uh, an onstage production, which in turn attracted Warner Brothers to acquire the rights to that idea. And they wanted to then make a Disney competing animated musical and enter Brad Bird's stage left. Interesting, the concept animation for A Friend is a Friend, one of the Pete Townsend tracks intended for the musical, is available on YouTube. So I'll link to it in the show notes. It's remarkably intricate and contains some elements that actually made it into the finished movie. As Brad Bird came onto the production, Pete Townsend and his songs left. Townsend remained an executive producer for that very reason. Brad Bird didn't want sort of a standard public domain Disney-fied animation. He didn't want song and dance numbers. He wanted to tell a proper story with clear messages, specifically the Iron Man. It was renamed for obvious reasons, because although Iron Man wasn't top-tier Marvel superhero, he was still known in comic book circles. So Bird ended up removing the songs and distanced it more from Hughes' original story. I mentioned in John Carter about unprecedented creative control given to Andrew Stanton was probably not the best idea for that particular movie. But in the case of The Iron Giant, it was absolutely the best idea Warner Brothers had. They gave him almost complete creative control over The Iron Giant and the ability to adapt the story as he saw fit. He ended up introducing new characters like Dean McCubbin and Kent Mansley. 
Um, Tim McCandless came on board to write the script, which annoyed Brad Bird because he wanted to write the screenplay. It was McCandless's suggestion to bring the Iron Giant back to life at the end, spoiler alert, and not keep him dead. And his reasoning was, you can't kill E.T. and then not bring him back. Um, There are some comparisons, some big comparisons to E.T. in this story. McCandless was given three months to finish the script, but he ended up finishing it in two. Um, The origin of the giant himself was to be kept unknown in order to focus on the relationship between giant and Hogarth. The Iron Giant was to be a simple sci-fi story based on Ted Hughes' original premise, but a serious story and an important story. Set in 1957 during the Cold War, shortly after the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 1, the threat of the atomic bomb had never been higher. Paranoia was rampant. The US could be attacked at any moment. There was an intense fear of the unknown, fear of a massive foreign weapon that couldn't be stopped. What if that weapon was a gun and that gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun? Even more interesting in the story of Brad Bird himself was that he lost his sister Susan to domestic gun violence a few years prior. Perhaps in a way to try and understand his recent loss was to ask whether, if the gun had a choice, would it have fired that fatal shot? What if the gun chose to be something else? What if that gun could learn, could understand, it could empathise? It would be very easy for the movie to introduce Giant as the villain and then turn him sympathetic, like some misunderstanding caused by intolerance and fear, sending the giant metal man into hiding where he meets an innocent boy and learns to become good. What's so great about Giant is he is innocent. More so than Hogarth, the Iron Giant is a child with no idea who he is, where he came from, how to communicate or what he's capable of. It's the love he gets from Hogarth that teaches him empathy, that guns are bad, but death is not. Hogarth, a lonely, fatherless boy, gets the pet he so desperately wants, but also a friend and, in many ways, a surrogate father. Had Giant been captured by the army, he would have become the monster he feared he would be. Through Hogarth, he learns about the beauty of life, about doing the right thing, about being the hero of his own story, just like the Superman comics Hogarth reads to him and ultimately going against his programming as a sentient killing machine and understanding his own mortality and his ability for self-sacrifice. It's a story that's been seen throughout history and especially relevant today with countries closing their borders to outsiders for no reason other than nationality or skin colour. As global and domestic events happen, we react by closing ourselves off, by fearing our neighbours, fearing the unknown. America has an incredibly reactive president right now, very much a Kent Mansley, so to speak, quick to judge, quick to assign blame, dare I say it, quick to potentially press that nuclear missile button. Even Giant, when threatened, retaliates with force and usually ends up confused, upset at his lack of control, like a switch is turned and he becomes the one thing he doesn't want to be. It's that fear and retaliation that causes the potentially catastrophic ending, as the extremely paranoid Kent Mansley orders a submarine to fire a nuclear missile directly at Giant, who is towering over the townspeople. People who were initially fearful of 
this giant metal man, having seen both sides of his nature, having seen his kindness at saving the lives of two young boys and his weaponized reaction to being attacked by the military. At this point, reaching the point of acceptance, acceptance of giant himself and also of their own impending doom, there is nowhere to hide from this missile. No bomb shelter is going to save them now. I want to come back to the ending of the movie later because it makes me cry like pretty much nothing else will. And because, honestly, I want to talk about crying. Generally, if a live-action movie makes me seriously cry, I'll probably never watch it again. I don't know why this is. E.T., for example, which, as I mentioned, shares DNA with this movie for sure, I have no intention of watching ever again. I have no desire to sit and cry at an ending that I know will upset me. I've mentioned before my very intense reaction to John Wick. And Jesus, you know I love you, Keanu, but I cannot watch that dog die again. I just can't do it. Give me the gun fu, give me the butt kicking, give me your beautiful face, anything but not that dog. I can't cope with it. Animation has the most incredible power to entice emotion more so than live action and also to entice you back time and time again. It's something that with The Iron Giant, I'm constantly wanting to rewatch. I don't care that it makes me cry. It just constantly wants me to come back to it. It's something that live action just simply cannot do. And it's also, I think, why so many of Disney's live action remakes just don't cut it for me. An animated character can express a range of emotions and then you bring in your vocal actor to express it. But great animation uses visual techniques and music to accomplish a true range of emotion and pretty much all of your narrative exposition without relying on dialogue. It's something that can't always be done. And I would argue probably never done with the constraints of live action. And if you don't believe me, watch the first 10 minutes of Up. It contains hardly any sound. And yet you get to know Carl and Ellie, you grow up with them, you grow old with them, you understand their pain, you empathise with the cruel harshness of life and then be completely heartbroken within that time frame. That's not just the genius minds of Pixar casting magic spells over your emotions. That's the pure, simple, understated genius of animation right there. And the Iron Giant is no different. Another animated movie which I guarantee will tear your emotions into shreds is Studio Ghibli's Grave of the Fireflies. It's set during the Second World War and that's probably my animated crying limit, to be honest. It's a beautiful, raw, graphic story about two young children struggling to survive during the harshness of living in a war-torn Japan. Just thinking about it makes me want to weep. Again, not just animation and not for children. It's a powerful war movie and it will absolutely destroy you. But you should definitely watch it. Don't tell me animation is just animation. The ending of The Iron Giant, which will get your tear ducts working overtime, is simply majestic. The themes of heroism are simply stated as giant becoming his hero, Superman. Saving the small town from the threat of a nuclear missile. It's beautiful, emotional, resonant, and it's pure. There is nothing else like the ending of that movie. It's the best superhero origin movie, I swear to God, you will ever see. It's better than Captain America sacrificing himself at the end of First Avenger. Even though 
he does come back to life at the end. Spoiler alert. You still feel that raw, emotional gut punch. It's incredible. I feel like this episode is a bit mishy-mashy. It's not intentional. I deeply care about animation and specifically this movie. So I'm sorry if I'm going a bit back and forth on this. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit to Brad Bird. So Brad Bird made the decision early to make the film traditionally 2D animated, but Giant himself is a bit of a clever mix of both CG animation and 2D. And he chose this despite the recent success of Toy Story and the 1999 release of Toy Story 2, which was obviously the highly anticipated sequel. He favoured the traditional animation. Do you know what? I think I might just be in love with Brad Bird. (laughs) He's exactly my kind of guy. He also chose to produce it in widescreen, as many films in the 1950s were. And most importantly, he fought against executives who wanted the Disneyfication. Like a puppy sidekick. Jesus Christ, can you imagine this movie with a puppy sidekick? He fought against a present-day setting. The 1950s setting is incredible. It is perfection. And he also fought against, would you believe, a hip-hop soundtrack. Apparently, The Iron Giant, as it stands, isn't marketable enough. I mean, tell that to Funko Pop or Ready Player One. I swear to God, The Iron Giant is the absolute best part of that movie. And I did enjoy Ready Player One a lot. But as soon as I saw Giant, I was like, yes, Giant! Loved Giant in that. He's only in it a little bit, but he's fantastic. I think time has taught us if Brad Bird wants to do something, then, dude, you just let him get it done. However, this was his directorial debut. He did manage to persuade Warner Brothers that his direction was the best thing to do. So for that, Warner Brothers executives at least, thank you. Once the movie was complete, Warner Brothers would still not confirm a release date after their other animated movie of the year, Quest for Camelot, flopped terribly. But after wide successful test screenings for The Iron Giant, which were the highest in 15 years... The studio was completely underprepared for that response. And they basically then realised they had no marketing strategy. Here was a movie that test screeners absolutely loved, that the general public would probably also love. They didn't even have a proper poster to put up in cinemas. They ended up putting up test posters. Seriously. There were no marketing deals set, no toys, very little in the way of promotion. They had two and a half years to plan for this, but reports suggest that they were more interested in Wild Wild West. You have no idea how much I'm eye-rolling right now. So if you saw The Iron Giant at the cinema, you are a legend. If you didn't, well, you can hardly be blamed for not knowing about it because there was pretty much nothing out there to tell you about it. You can't, however, be blamed for not knowing about it now. The Signature Edition is available on DVD and Blu-ray, digitally restored, and contains two extra scenes that have been specifically animated by the original animators for that DVD and Blu-ray release. So, like, get on it. It's, oh my God, I can't tell you how wonderful this movie is. I don't want to say too much, but I feel like I'm kind of saying enough, but maybe a bit too much, but I really, really want you to watch this movie. Anyway... Eventually, a marketing push started, but by then, it was too little too late. It opened in the US on wide on August the 6th, 1999, at number nine in the box office. Domestically, it grossed $23 million, with a further $8 million internationally. 
I'm really sorry, the Iron Giant. Um, and the movie cost $50 million to make, although some reports state closer to $70 million. And analysts stated due to its release date, basically competing against the likes of massive 1999 movies like The Sixth Sense and The Blair Witch Project and its complete lack of any sort of build-up or marketing that it never stood a chance. Often I express frustration on this podcast. So for John Carter, it was because it could have been great given better direction. Um, The Iron Giant is frustrating not because it could have been great, because it is great. It's phenomenal. It's a timeless story. It's beautifully animated. It's beautifully cast. It's okay. This is the best movie of 1999. And that's hard for me to say because you know how much I love The Mummy. You know how much I love The Matrix. I've got another movie on this podcast in the next few months, also from 1999, which I also love for different reasons, but I still love it. But I'm going to say it again. This is the best movie of 1999. That is a verbal diorama endorsed statement. Speak to my lawyers if you have issue with that, because I will not back down. This is the best movie of 1999. Full stop. Awards wise, it won several Annie Awards, but it never really received any major award success. It did win a BAFTA Children's Award. Again, with the children. Oh my God. I love children. I really do. Animated movies are not just for children. Anyway, oh my God, I'm getting so cross on this podcast. I'm so sorry. Right. It won a BAFTA Children's Award for Best Feature Film. However, I stand by that if the Academy did an award specifically for the animation genre in 1999, it probably would have lost and it probably would have lost just Toy Story 2. And I'm cool with that, actually, but it would have at the very least been nominated. Best Animate Feature at the Oscars started in 2001, by the way, and the first one was won by Shrek. Brad Bird, of course, went on to win Best Animated Feature Oscar in 2004 for my favourite Pixar movie, The Incredibles. And again in 2007 for not my favourite Pixar movie, but okay, Ratatouille. And a nomination in 2018 for Incredibles 2, which lost to the highly superior Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is also a landmark animation that simply didn't get the audience it deserved. But at least Spider-Verse got awards recognition. A sequel has been wanted by fans of the movie for years, but Brad Bird has always refused. He sees the story as complete, and in many ways, it is. How else could giant story continue? We don't need to see 30-year-old Hogarth. It's the perfect story with the perfect ending. And sometimes Hollywood should know that sequels aren't always necessary. And we know the giant can put himself back together. And so we find him on Iceland, retrieving his multiple nuts, bolts and appendages. It doesn't need to tell us any more than that. It's perfect. The Iron Giant serves as the ultimate warning against trigger-happy, corrupt governments, the fear-mongering of what we don't know or understand, and that retaliation is never the answer. Communication, education, experience, kindness and understanding each other will result in a better future for us all and that we are who we choose to be. So I asked for a few social media thoughts on the Iron Giant and I had a few. 
not very many but then I kind of figured that would be considering I don't think very many people have actually seen this movie but those that do absolutely adore it so on twitter at movies at the mat said not only one of the best animated movies ever made that tells a wonderful story with fully fleshed out characters all while keeping the stakes high it is also the best superman movie ever made i will die on that hill and honestly i would probably die on that hill with you because there is no better superman than giant he is oh my god he's a wonderful character. Oh, I feel like I'm going to cry just thinking about him. Jesus, what is wrong with me? At here, Sandy said, she actually commented twice. She said, such a good movie. Start showing your kids people. Hashtag family bonding. Yes. Now, although I say the animation is not for children, animation is for everyone. That does not mean don't show your children this movie. You should absolutely watch this movie with your children. You should watch this movie as an adult. Watch this movie with your partner. Just watch this movie. Oh my God, please. Um, And she also said later, great movie. Seriously, why hasn't anyone seen it? I don't know. I wish I knew. Well, clearly because they didn't market it, but no excuse 20 years later. It's, oh my God, amazing. At launching the pilot said, the ending didn't make me cry. I just had something in my eye. And then in inverted commas, Superman. Literally, if that does not get you, that scene, there is something wrong with your tear ducts. It's amazing. At Feminist Hot Dog said, I love this movie and everyone should see it. The origin story, it was based on a children's book by Ted Hughes, is also remarkable. I meant to say earlier, actually, that Ted Hughes wrote the original book after his wife, Sylvia Plath, died. And he wrote it to help their children understand grief and loss, which is also quite remarkable and wonderful at 20th century geek said one of the most underrated animated films ever great cast strong animation and the finale makes me cry every time wonderful film agreed at a girl her horror said i loved this movie as a kid again please get your children to watch this but also enjoy it yourself and finally at robert c46302033 simply said love this movie I had some comments on Instagram as well. So, at It's Not Joe said, It was an animated movie with a set of clear messages. The characters have depth and real problems in a sci-fi world. Um, And the first pod basically loves this movie so much, they commented twice and in capital letters put, Such an underrated movie! With like loads of exclamation marks. Yes. Uh, So often eclipsed by other animated features generally, but especially of that time. Which, absolutely, it seems to be eclipsed by everything. But especially because Pixar was just coming out at the time. And the Disney renaissance was kind of winding down a little bit with Tarzan. And it was just so eclipsed at the time. And honestly, I gave the movie away to Anita, the lucky winner of the giveaway. But if I could give everyone who's listening right now a copy of The Iron Giant, seriously, I would do it. I... I can't because A, I don't know how many of you are listening and B, I don't think I can quite afford that. But if I could, if there was some magic wand that I could wave that would put the Iron Giant and like deliver it to your door as you're listening, oh my God, I so would. Anyway, I feel like I've had a bit of a rant this episode. It was not intentional. It's something I'm so passionate about. And I mentioned I'm writing an article um, this I've been writing it this week. I'm a little bit behind on it, as I'm always behind on most things. But it's about animation and about 
some of the themes that I've spoken about, about animation not being for children, specifically about animation being for all and about animation not being a genre, because I think that's really important. And it doesn't help that the Oscars have an animated picture category because just because it's animation, it doesn't make it any less of a movie experience. Animation is the purest form of art. And as much as I love hand-drawn animation, and the hand-drawn animation on this movie is incredible, by the way, it's beautiful. I thoroughly appreciate all animation. And this is a movie that is, oh my God, remarkable. It's a remarkable movie that means so much today. And if you have, I don't even know how much it would be in America. I don't know, $10 or a tenner or 10 euros or whatever. I don't even know how much it is to buy where you live. But please just find a copy and please buy it. And if that's, if one person leaves this podcast, which by the way, did I mention it's out on my birthday and they think, I want to do something for Verbal Diorama. I want to buy myself the Iron Giant. Oh my God, best birthday gift ever. Please do it. (laughs) That would make me so happy. Right, anyway, thank you for listening to my (laughs) rant. Oh my God, this is terrible. This is what happens when I do an episode a week for the whole of August. It's literally driving me mad. Um, (laughs) Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Iron Giant. I would especially love to hear your thoughts if you've never seen it before and especially if you go out and watch it based on my recommendation. I want you to walk away from this with the one movie that I will recommend till my dying day for everyone. And I don't just mean people who love animation because some people don't. I don't just mean people who like movies set during the Cold War. I don't just mean people who love sci-fi because fundamentally it is a sci-fi story. I want everyone to go out and appreciate this movie. And if honestly, if one person turns around to me and says, I listened to your podcast and I bought a copy of The Iron Giant and I love it. Oh, my God. You would that that would make my day. That would make my year. That is like my birthday. Neat little bow package done. Anyway, (laughs) oh my God, this is so gung-ho. I'm really sorry. Anyway, so my next episode, I'm going to move on from the Iron Giant now. My next episode is coming out on Sunday the 15th of September, so two weeks and a day. And you know I love Edgar Wright, right? Well, you're going to like this. I'm taking on seven of my evil exes And I'm going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And boy, what a movie. What a cast to talk about. Michael Sarah, Anna Kendrick, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Aubrey Plaza, Ellen Wong, Alison Pill. Literally some of the finest young talent in Hollywood in one movie. I cannot wait. And I'm so excited to bring you Scott Pilgrim versus the world. If you like this episode, even though it got a bit ranty, but if you do... Um, My other episodes aren't so ranty, but this one's special. Um, I've also done episodes on 
<clears throat> Here we go. Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Poets of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter and Willow. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes and I'd really appreciate that. I do have a Ko-fi account. I haven't been running it this month. And honestly, this is the last day of Extravaganza, so... If anyone did donate anything to Shine, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I am very, very grateful. But if you, like I said before, if you do want to give me something for my birthday, buy yourself a copy of The Iron Giant and enjoy it and love it and respect it. Oh, my God. And finally, remember, you are who you choose to be. One of my favourite podcasts is The Midnight Myth and Derek and Laurel tend to always sign off with the phrase, be kind. So just this once, if it's okay, Derek and Laurel, I haven't asked permission, but I hope it is. I'm going to borrow that because if you are who you choose to be, you should always be kind. Movie should know, movie should talk.